Replace it with the real one. Fair enough. <laughs> no, anyways. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You tune in listening to United to the Moose. This is the cinematic odyssey that was Max's attempt at recreating, um, what's it called again? Zarathustra, what? Also, Sprock Zarathustra. Yeah, that was it. Um, made I- famous by the film that we're talking about today. It's been a while. It's been a while since we made an episode. Yeah. It's been quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it felt like a month, but it hasn't been that long. It's been a few weeks. Yeah. Finals and all that. Yeah, exactly. It's been busy. It's been busy. But oh, yeah. we talked about the, well, within the film community, it is not a very polarizing film. It is heralded as one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, if not the greatest, depends on who you ask. Um it is widely cited and regarded as one of the most important and influential films ever made. Uh, it came out in the s- 1968. Yep. It was shot and produced over the course of uh, several years before that in uh, London. And it is directed, created, written, produced by the genius and my personal favorite, who I think is the greatest filmmaker of all time, Stanley Kubrick. May he rest in peace. This was his fifth film, I think, uh, if I am correct, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is that he and you know the crew, the cast, are responsible for making one of the most important films in the art form, uh, not only for you know the way that it looks, but just like the things that he achieved that they achieved with the the effects um with how you know the the stargate sequence mm-hmm. uh the in camera effects um and like kind of the avant-garde nature of the narrative that uh, was approached when making this film um there was a book the co-writer Arthur C Clarke he wrote the book simultaneously with this this uh the script or with the screenplay mm. yeah so it's a little fun fact but yes we're talking about 2001 a space odyssey absolute masterpiece and you know uh i wouldn't say it's my pick for my favorite kubrick or i don't even think it's his best i think barry Lyndon is his best film but that's more of a unpopular opinion but either way, this is still considered uh, one of cinema's greatest achievements. And that is an understatement. And that's from within the film community. If you go outside the film community and you ask people, some you know average, average Joe, and you tell them to watch this, they'll probably get bored within the first 30 minutes after the Dawn of Man sequence and will probably want to you know, leave. Yeah. <laughs> but, Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
But, you know, that's how Americans be. Yeah. You know. <laughs> with, the, with the art. Yeah, I, I came into this uh, knowing all the hype around it, knowing that it was considered one of the greatest films of all time, knowing that it's consistently at the tops of lists for one of the greatest achievements in, in film, that it's Stanley Kubrick's, uh, one of his masterpieces, that it's, you know, transcendent. And I, I, I go into this expecting this, and uh, I, I'm going to put it like this. It is the most boring most captivating piece of art that you just can't take your eyes off of. Is is nothing happening? Yes and no, but it, it it's so visually stunning that it's so hard to look away. The, the final 40 minutes of this film have no spoken words of, of dialogue. And I could not turn my eyes off of this Mm -hmm. it was beautiful yeah painstaking careful stunning yeah i mean honestly like holy cow i mean (laughs) i I, 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 yep that's what it did to me i i'm stuttering the yeah yeah i mean again this is a film that's been talked about for since the day it's come out Although when it did come out, it didn't get the same hype or you know praise as it you know has now eventually come to at this point its reputation that it's gained. Yeah, because it was it was a bit of a mixed bag, more so negative than positive from film critics. Although audiences generally liked it more from what I've read uh, than critics. Ironically enough, <laughs> I think I think what. The film, I mean, this came out in 68. This was before the kind of American cinematic revolution uh, that occurred in the 70s with the countless masterpieces that were released in that decade um, following shortly after this. But, you know, I, I would consider, like, the 60s, 70s to be probably the greatest um, decades of this art form the number of masterpieces and like achievements that were made during that period were probably we'll never see again um in a long time but that's just my opinion but either way i mean it's it's an avant-garde film oh yeah it's very it tests your patience it does to the max i mean there are so many long Shots like shots that just go on and draw on for a long period of time. Um, you know, like the the sequence where um the Blue Danube wrote right wrote Blue Danube. I believe that's it. Is yeah. that what it's called? Uh, oh, the Blue Danube Waltz. Yeah, uh, is playing and it's like the ballet of the. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, of too. the of the like the spaceships and the. Um, yeah, the uh, space stations kind of like just in a dance. Mingling. Yeah, it's oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. It's a long sequence. You're essentially listening to a classical music concert instead. Like it, this would be one of those those shown at the Philharmonic, um, and they would play the music while um, you watch the film because it's just coupled with that type of music. It's that that sweeping thing. I'll be honest. I was thinking this was like a PBS kind of um, 
production because the thing that tipped me off that made me think okay this isn't what i think it's going to be because mm. i came in thinking okay this is the evil robot hal and you know the the workers have to rise up i was thinking this was basically just live action wally i'll be completely honest really i that's what i was getting oh. off of it you know like okay. that's what i was that's what i came in imagining yeah. that this is just live action wally machines ai versus humans not grander than that it's just you know should we give machines the power to think mm. um and then i i look and i see the rating now the motion pictures association of america is intense and hard and they 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 put a lot of stuff in in through the ringer for having even slightest elements. Frozen is uh, rated PG, just for reference. You know, the Disney animated film with the song Let It Go. 2001 A Space Odyssey is rated G. <laughs> this can be shown on, on like, public-ass access television. And honestly, it should. Yeah, no, it should. This is, this is made by an American, by the way, for those that don't know. Stanley Kubrick is an American. Uh, even though he lived in England for most of his life, uh, this is is a an American film, and you know should be given the proper um, what should I say attention from general audiences that this film rightfully deserves. Because I mean, again, within the film community, this is praised to the highest of heavens and deserves every bit of that praise. Um, and you know, we're going to glaze, I'm going to glaze this film till the day I die. <laughs> I'm going to glaze this to the highest of heavens Ugh. as it rightfully deserves. But, you know, I want to talk about, um, the film itself, uh, rather than just like, you know, kind of the, the, yeah, the reception around it. Yeah. Cause it opens up when I watch this in theaters, at the American Cinematheque in Santa Monica. Shout out to them, if anybody <laughs> that, I, that is a member there or <laughs> listens if they find out about I saw in 60 millimeter. Ooh. Oh, no, 70, 70 millimeter. Very nice. Yeah, it was beautiful. Oh, they, were, they were re-showing it. This, he, uh, yeah, they show it They show it every summer. Tristan is not 70. And yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. Or 50. They do it. They do it every summer. They do seventy millimeter uh, projections every summer. Uh, so they did this, and I, I was like, I have to watch this. It was probably the best uh, cinematic experience I've ever done, uh, I've ever had in my life, um, because this is a film that you need to watch in theaters. You need to to fully experience uh, the imagery, the sound, everything about it. Fair. And the opening actually, it's just it's darkness for like maybe three minutes, like a black screen for three minutes, and it's uh, the voices that you hear from the monolith, like the oh, yeah. like that is playing before you see the title screen. Ooh, for like three minutes maybe. You just sat there listening and watching a black screen. Yeah, it was intense. And then you see the opening, the very iconic, you know, what I just said. Yeah, what you sang at the beginning there. Um, and then the, what is it? Earth, sun, moon and moon, right? In alignment. Yeah. You know, it was, it was very Wes Anderson without the pastel. 
was just <laughs> Like I, I, the, you know, <laughs> you say you know, man was not even a lot. No, Kubrick did, did it first, but and Kubrick <laughs> did it really. Kubrick did it so well, but like each each shot just tickles an itch in my brain because it's sat right in the center and there's so many circles and uh, it's just round and it's yeah, just yeah, so yeah. satisfying. No, it is very satisfying. Um, and then after that we get into the Dawn of Man sequence, which is it's like a prelude. Yeah. Um. Where we witness apes <laughs> uh kind of live life. Yeah. And we, we you learn that there's two rival factions, I guess, and um one day there appears a black tile or the monolith as what it's referred to. Yeah. Um and it emanates that song that kind of vocal chant that you hear uh very ominous and just yeah um mysterious mysterious and ominous kind of presence that it that it contains and so they the apes like surround it they touch it and whatever and then the next scene we see one of them one of the apes grab a bone and use it as a weapon, and it's like the first weapon that's ever used, and so that weapon's used to kill one of the other apes from the rival faction, yeah, and to kill an animal for food, and it's like this moment of of evolution and intelligence, learning, yeah, learning. <laughs> I'll be honest. I wasn't sure how much of this movie was going to be apes, so I'm like, oh, okay, he's choosing to do apes, so we can, you know, equate human processes with creatures that we view as simpler. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I get it. It's rivalry. It's we work for food. It's we live alongside, but we we have disputes with people who are the same as us uh, at at our, at our very core, just based off of you know national differences and whatnot. Mm. Oh, and then we uh, touch this thing, which could be higher power, could be God, could be faith, could be, you know, um, whatever, something, you, whatever something, you want it to something be, really. Mo- something more powerful than us. Yeah. And then we we learn, we progress, we grow, and use weapons to kill each other. Yeah. Which is sort of where I thought this was going. Like, I was trying to predict where this was going. That was wrong. That was dumb. <laughs> it wasn't dumb. I mean, I was I, I was mean, off. Yeah, I was off. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then what proceeds to occur is probably the most iconic match cut in the history of the art form when he when the ape throws the bone. Yes. And the bone, you see the bone in the sky or in the air, not in the sky. Well, and both. then and then it cuts to the the satellite, which is actually, I mean, it's supposed to well what it is is a nuclear Warhead. Oh, fun. Yeah. So a weapon, the most primitive weapon to the most advanced weapon. Yeah. Heck I mean, yeah. it's not very, it's not very clear because, like, from the look, you're like, what? It's, it's a satellite, but it's actually, it holds nukes in there. Wonderful. Yeah. So, but th- that, that man, that cut always gets me. It's just so simple. It's so brilliant. Yeah. Um. Like the every shot, the everything about this film is just brilliant. Um, and then it gets into the Blue Daniel Waltz thing, yeah. and it's just like very slow. Oh, and then yeah. the film just the pace just grinds to a halt, and it's like, <laughs> all right, here you go, sit with this. 
Yeah. You know? It's good. And like it, it, it that's the thing. Like yes, it's slow. Yes, you're basically just listening to uh concerto. You're you're just listening to classical music. But like you kind of need to. You're just kind of along for the ride. You're just floating, mm-hmm. I guess. Is is a good word. And moving in from there, we 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 go to the uh the space vessel, the space travel flight sponsored by Pan Am. Mm-hmm. Uh, logging Before in. they went bust. Yeah, exactly. No, but like <laughs> they're they're checking in the process of um, Haywood Floyd on the space station. Yeah. The amount of product placement I absolutely adore. Just because <laughs> they go they go so far. There are so many like I was ex- I that was another thing I was paying attention to because mm. I'm like because it's so slow I got to reset my mind, and you know, um, to take a look at other things that I was looking for. I got to pick up a lot more detail. Um, I think in the background, mm. and you know the he checks in through the you know security gate, confirms that he's here. You know you got Pan American sponsored hilton's a sponsor um uh who is it howard johnson is a sponsor uh it's like labeled like the cafeteria is the howard johnson's sky cafe Mm. something like that and i was thinking oh this is going to be it's going to be corporate no it's just that's how we were able to finance space travel i mean that's just how it is in real life yeah spacex (laughs) yeehaw (laughs) the next frontier yeah yeah yeah, because, I mean, this whole, I don't even know, like, probably 30 minutes, 40 minutes of this whole sequence where we're just watching him kind of go through the mullings of space travel. Because he's a... Scientist, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not an astronaut. Um, he works with the U.S. government. I know, that's, know yeah. that for certain. Um, yeah, docks into the... Apparently, like, this is a quite a realistic depiction of what space travel would look like. Apparently, I mean, I know, uh, I know. They're stretch. I mean, obviously, the. I, I mean, I, just like my own head doesn't get it. Just because I feel like, again, you're traveling so fast out there, like. You're yeah, you're orbiting Earth and yeah. you're floating, but like you're not floating in slow motion. No, you're not. I don't know. I guess yeah, it's hard to wrap one's yeah. head around it. But I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like a you had to be there situation. Um, <laughs> yeah, Stanley Stanley went up to the space and yeah. did it himself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before we landed on the yeah, moon. Yeah, before we landed on the moon, he went up there. My, f- I now understand. Well, yeah, technically, don't they float? Yeah, no. Yeah, it's they like, flow, no? Yeah, like the way The they... farther they get away from the atmosphere, because gravitational pull is weaker. Yeah. So it's not like they're hurling towards Earth. Right. Like we've seen, you know. No, but I, w- I was just expecting, you know, if the Earth is spinning at, you know, 20,000 miles per second. Well, it's massive, though. Earth is I mean, ginormous but, compared to those small objects. But technically, we are, too. So, like... As long as you're within the gravitational field, but in orbit, maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. But like, I'm not, what, a, I'm not that, a physicist. That was the thing that I was weirded out about by the um, repair of the pod. Like, he just ejects from the pod, and he's just like slowly floating towards the. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just like, oh, that's that's 
strange, but all right. Yeah, I, I accept it. I mean, it makes sense yeah. within the context of the film. Yeah, exactly. And I uh, like this was coming through my mind about halfway through. Now I get why people think Kubrick faked the moon landing. <laughs> yeah, because it looks so real. It does. It looks so real. It was 68 for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, the the film hasn't aged a bit. No, it's really. Great. It looks. It still looks incredible and like <laughs> ahead of its time, really. Yeah. Um. But, but he, uh, yeah, no, we're right. Saying, no, I was gonna yeah, continue yeah. with the plot. Yeah, Haywood yeah. gets onto the um. Yeah, the space station meets up with some dude, and then they run into the Russians, and I guess in this this alternate timeline universe. America and I assume it's still the USSR. Yeah, in the film. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's still some tension, but they're not like, yeah, fierce rivals. I mean, it's the future. Yeah. It's at least after 1992. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right, right. Which I mean, I think that's so funny because that's when Hal is first programmed in 1992. Oh, um, in the f- oh, they say th- that right? This, yeah, in does, the interview. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was thinking, it's so funny that he they they ended up with this year when the real USSR collapses in 1991. <laughs> but anyways, he's going to a meeting with um the big brass about a monolith discovered on the moon. Yeah, going to a base on the moon where all communication has been severed. Yep, that's because of this monolith emitting yeah. a radio frequency. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he also he. Cooper predicts FaceTime. He does. Uh, That's true. With his, <laughs> he would talk to his daughter on the, the f- what did they even call it? Um, I don't know. Pl- uh, Something phone. Planet scope. I don't know. Whatever, but yeah, predicts FaceTime and predicts AI. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. Dear God. <laughs> He's on a roll. Yeah, uh, yeah. They go to the moon, and then um, were you? Yeah, you were definitely caught off guard by the noise. Yes, that was emitted. I mean, I just like that he re- repeats for the theme. You know, um, he repeats the same noise at the beginning, um, or as was at the beginning, or the um, the dawn of the monolith. It's back on the moon. You use that to to symbolize the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I like the consistency. Yeah, but then there's a shriek. A shriek happens. Oh yep, yep, yeah, yep, yep, yep. yeah, yeah. That's what I was referring to. Yeah, it was loud. The shriek that occurs. Yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> I covered my ears in the theater, so I, I didn't. <laughs> it's loud. It is very loud. <laughs> I hit earbuds in. That did not work out well. Oh, oof! Ouch. I should have warned you. That's all right. Should have warned you. It's it's part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure is. <laughs> Um, I mean, up until that point, again, uh, it's yeah, like you said, it's kind of plotless, right? There's not really, not really much happens. It's more so beautiful images, and then like extrapolating your own um, meaning. Uh, yes, but your interpretation, yeah, your interpretation of um. Kind of the themes of the film, yeah. Um, specifically, that being evolution and knowledge and intelligence. Because um, then we get into the the second half of the film, where we embark on our journey to Saturn. 
Jupiter. Or Jupiter, my bad. Whoops, wrong planet. How could you? Because that's where that monolith was beaming out radio signals. It's beaming out towards Jupiter. Yeah. And they're being super secretive about it. Too. No, no, no. Wasn't it, like, published? No, wasn't it? Oh, no. The the reason for them going there was secret. Yes. But they them going there was public knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. And the, there's only five total crew members, three of whom are in hibernation. You've got uh, Frank and Dave. Yeah, the and, two. And Hal, the computer. Hal 9000. Yeah, he's he's considered the sixth member. Yes, as opposed to, you know, uh, there's a joke in there somewhere. You know, Hal, the 9,000, and Andre, (laughs) 3,000. What about, what about? Hal Hal shook it like a Polaroid picture. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There's a joke in there somewhere about that. Oh, man. But, yeah, it's just, that's when the, that's when the film gets interesting. Oh, yeah. Um. Because at this point, it's just space politics. Space politics? It's so accurate. (laughs) (laughs) It's just space Space politics. And classical music. Yeah. And NPR. (laughs) I mean, you got to say, I mean, the detail, the level of detail with, like, the way, the food that they eat, you know, all the instructions, like the zero gravity toilet. Yeah. Like, that was so (laughs) detailed, the 10 steps to using it. Did you read it? Uh, Yeah, I've I've read, I paused and read it um just cuz but yeah. yeah like i mean it's kind of you know accurate you know with regards to the food i mean it's that's just kinda, pretty much space food no it's pudding yeah yeah um and yeah so we see the crew they're getting interviewed by some guy at CBS or NBC or i don't know but BBC. um PBC okay BBC. Oh, BBC. British Broadcasting uh, Company. Um, and then they have the conversation with Hal. And Hal is a computer made by IBM is to be... Product placement. Yeah, is to be considered the most advanced and intelligent computer, more so than humans. The 9000 series is infallible. Yes, as it proclaims. Um, God. And it's not the only... It's not the only um, Hal nine thousand that exists. There's other ones. Yes. In in the in Earth, but this is the they brought it on to the ship to basically run everything. So the astronauts are just there. Right. At the you know, for the human component, I guess. But and the th- the cool thing about Hal, the thing that that the design is really cool, and the the thing that Kubrick does. Uh, in the writing, is that it's it's not just a computer, it's not just Siri. Mm-mm. It's always listening, you know, like an Alexa. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, it has the power to think as well. Yeah, it has the power to initiate conversation. It has the power to wonder, and and it has human consciousness exactly. And it gets into an interesting discussion surrounding you know AI and the potential. Uh, ramifications of uh, getting it to that point, if that will ever even occur. Let's be honest. I don't even think artificial intelligence can even get to that level, um, at least in our lifetimes, I don't think. Maybe. But I highly doubt it. Well, I was seeing a story. uh, Yep. 
Uh, it was like the uh, the C- one of the members of Google stepped down to uh, re- uh, or resigned to proclaim the dangers of the evolution of AI. AI. Yeah, I, s- I heard about that. Like very recently. Mm-hmm. But like, geez. But I, I mean, again, I think I think what Hal is, I don't know if that's achievable. I kind of hope not. Because like, how can a machine w- achieve human consciousness? Like, there's no way. You know what I mean? There's no way. We say there's that. no way. I I want. We I, don't even understand our our brains fully. Correct. That's how complex we are. You know. Yeah. So. What's to say we as humans can even develop um, technology to even get to the point we are, yeah, uh, intellectually speaking? But I think I think that's what makes it so intriguing that it's basically just another person, except it's like we'll we'll treat Hal. I mean, we call him Hal. Yeah, it's we not, call him like a person. Yeah, we're not like a name. It, yeah, we. It's like. We were going to say, okay, this is the ideal form of person. This is the ideal, godlike, um, perfect human that we all aspire to be, but mm-hmm. we can't because we're human. Right. And that's the one issue that 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 could possibly throw this mission off. Correct. Human error. Yeah. And uh, there are five of them. And one of. And one of Hal. One of Hal. And Hal again has control over the the ship. And Hal measures that. Hal is able to think about that and say, okay, well, the only thing that could screw this up, like, I'm perfect. The only thing that could screw this up is human error. Yep. These pesky little meat sacks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But ironically enough, I mean, yeah, because, like, they glaze Hal up, you know, to – they glaze him up and – it comes and bites them. That yet yeah, that whole thing. It's like th- the idoli- well, not idolization, but yeah. as they when they radio back about the issue that they their um their satellite has been having, they say our 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 computer has said that it's wrong, and the this your computer has just made an error and made a malfunction. Yeah, because they cross reference it with a different HAL nine thousand unit. Exactly, and there was a difference. Yes, and. That difference was deliberate because the 9,000 unit on the ship made it look like there was actually a problem with the satellite when, in fact, there wasn't. Ooh. Um, Devious. Mm. <laughs> that's when, yeah, and that's when it's it gets scary with the AI. It gets sentient. It, has, it can feel emotion, yeah. and it has its own thoughts, its own consciousness. And it recognizes the the power that it has, and so it's like, hmm, you know, humans in positions of power typically take advantage of it, and they don't um, heed yeah. to caution and do the right thing. And so, you know, Hal doesn't do the right thing. No, and he admits it later. <laughs> like, like <laughs> the thing is, this it's so low key. With the conversations, you know, if you're not paying attention to the words that they're saying, you're thinking, oh, it's just boring space mumbo jumbo. They're just talking about whatever. And then it turns out that the words that they're saying are 
crucial to their survival. And the conversation with Hal is about human error. It's not just checking diagnostics. It's not a boring documentary. Because no. if you're invested by this point, you're thinking, oh my God, this is like the worst thing that you could be saying to the machine that controls your ship. Yeah. Yeah. Because then he's going he's gonna to do something bad to you. And yeah, because I mean... For the first, like, 30 minutes of the voyage, uh, or at least 30 minutes of the film, like, of the voyage, it's going pretty smoothly. Nothing's really, nothing really bad is happening. And then the satellite problem pops up, right? And then, if, which astronaut goes out there? I forget. Pool. Frank Pool. Okay. He goes out there, fixes it, comes back. <clears throat> yeah, it should be fine. Yeah. Wait, so he come, he's not, isn't he uh, basically torn off or something like that? What happens again? The first time he goes out, it's basically, he goes out in the pod, the pod opens, and he kind of just is ejected towards the ship. He latches onto the ship, he removes the part that's supposed to be causing trouble to try and repair it. Mm. He's like, we're going to temporarily go dark, hope that works. And they basically, just, he pay, takes the part back in. Okay. To the ship. And they're repairing it. They're checking it out. They're like, I, I, for the life of me, can't tell what's wrong with it. I don't think anything's wrong with it. And Hal's like, no, there's something wrong with it. I promise. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And then they have the conversation in the pod after that. Yes, where they talk about potentially disconnecting him Hell. and his higher thinking. But the thing is... They do it before they go out and reattach the piece. No, 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 no. But this is the, the crazy part, is that Hal... While he can't hear them, he can read their lips. He can see. He can see because the eye, the God. red light is a camera. Yeah, if you've ever seen Wally, you know, like the the cap autopilot of the ship in Wally. Oh yeah, yeah. It's he's designed. He's definitely like inspired by how, one million yeah, one percent. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's it's a red dot inside of a black hole with like a silver lens around it and that's all you see you just when it when it's hal you just see that red dot in the center of the film it's in the insidious the it, it gives off like a very insidious kind of vibe it's so unnerving and yeah. it's so great and kubrick in the throughout this is able to just use the image to spark yeah like fear. this like the, sh the close-up shot oh my god yeah the close-up of hal's lens i love it so much because this is what it is. It's just imagery. You're not relying on score. You're not relying on stunts. I mean, it is visual effects to create some of the images, but you're just making the image and telling the story through that. Yeah. You don't need fancy writing no. if you're just going to show us what we what we need. It's the ultimate form of show, don't tell. Oh, it's I love it so which much. Which Kubrick, I mean... Oh, it's so good. Which Kubrick is excels at in his entire filmography, I mean... Oh. He's not a filmmaker. Yeah, he's a very visual storyteller. One of the best, if not the best. It's fantastic. I was in heaven. <laughs> I, it was. A, I'm sitting in a Tim Hortons, just like, oh, I'm so happy. You were watching this in a Tim Hortons. I yes, that that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was amazing. No, I'm sitting through his ending monologue. I'm sitting through, I'm like, wait, where is the iconic lines of dialogue coming in? I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. <laughs> like chills. Oh, I was shaking. 
it was stunning. Yeah. And like the 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 he doesn't say Hal doesn't say a word when he turns off the life support of the three hibernating scientists. No. It's more show don't tell and I was in absolute heaven. And it's silent. Yeah. You're watching the you... life you're just maybe hearing the beeps as you know nervous function uh, metabolism all that stuff it's, it's clicking up and then you see it fail and then you see the and other one fail. turn red yeah. and then you say uh, life critic it, it flashes life yeah, critical cool. uh, life terminated that's crazy I, so good oh my gosh it I mean it's demented it is murder no 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 what but I mean like, it, like the way that it's shown is gorgeous cr- yeah it's crazy it's amazing oh like the yeah it's just purely an image. Um, there isn't anything accompanying it, but it's so brilliant. Absolutely. It works so well, and it's so simple. Yeah, there isn't anything particularly special about it, but it just it hits so hard, you know. Um, and I think like the silence, because like in space you can't hear. Yeah. Um, and that being like a constant presence, like there isn't really much sound. You hear there, breathing. Yeah, there isn't really dialogue. Apart from the, the two, the the some, uh, the rare musical score, right? Uh, that's about it, and it's mostly just the ambient sounds of the ship, um, and that's it. And it's like, it just it's deafening. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's ir- it's ironic too. Like, uh I mean, uh, and honestly, you've you've got you want to see a little bit more. You want to go a little bit more into that human error element with Hal. Mm. Mm-hmm. Pool and Dave, Frank and Dave, hop into one of the pods to get away and talk privately without the ears of Hal listening in to their conversation about disconnecting him. Right. So they hop into the pod. They want to rotate it. They check and see if he can't hear them. Which, you know, I'm thinking, God, that's a manipulation tactic. He's just not responding so that he can listen in to their conversation. And then I'm like, well, that's brilliant. But the human error of this is, okay, he can't hear. You're fine. They're leaning into the window that faces directly towards one of his cameras. And they tur- they give themselves away. It's, it's like, if, you re- if you've read 1984, it's the eyes in the painting watching the entire time Mm. it's always been there it's always hiding you think you've beat it you think you're hiding away but really you're not fooling anybody Mm. because you're still in plain sight and the, 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 the fact that they think they're safe they think this is a private conversation is i think all the more damning for them because (laughs) Because, you know, if they hadn't had this conversation, maybe if they just written it out or something like that, Hal wouldn't have severed Frank's, uh, I want to say it's his air tube or his, his connection. Connection to the pod or whatever. Wouldn't have turned off the life support because he he wouldn't have known. Yeah. Maybe but. there would have been that, that they would have been on edge with each other, certainly. But, ooh. <laughs> it's 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 human error that provokes Hal to take executive action. Mm-hmm. This this mission is far too important for you to screw it up. I'll do it perfectly because I'm Hal Nine Thousand, yeah. and 
And it's he funny considering perfect. that humans created Hal 9000. He wasn't created from himself or nothing. Correct. Um, <laughs> and he's destroying what are essentially his creators. I mean, those people didn't create him, but, you know, they're humans. They are supposed to be technically his... Uh, I mean, how within the context of the mission is in charge of like running the ship but the humans are in charge in the sense of leadership they are manning the mission they are the ones that are higher in the hierarchy so to speak are at the top yeah but how is like no 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 i'm going to i'm going to usurp you real quick <laughs> just just let me just really quickly just um ooh let me just really quickly turn your heart off. Yeah, let me just all right. kill everybody. Yeah. And th- that's the thing that makes this all the more chilling to me is that it's not like menacing. Hal's voice never changes tone. It's mm-hmm. never menacing. It's never creepy. Um it's just the same automated voice that it has been the entire time. Yeah. It's, you know, he's talking uh you, you go in the beginning he's talking about checkmate. Oh, it's a knight to queen. Queen takes pawn, mate in four. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't let you do that. Yes, I did kill the other people in the pods. It's the exact same tone, which I think makes it just a little bit like sociopathic. Yeah. And and it, it makes it all the more terrifying when you think, okay, this isn't a being that has feelings. It's just a being that can think. And... It it, it it makes it I think way more disturbing to know that 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 it's not. It's the ultimate. Human. Yeah, it's the yeah. It's like the difference between a human. It it's what separates humanity from everything else. Yeah. Um, ultimately from computers in this in this sense, but yeah, it makes how like or AI at that level the ultimate enemy to humanity. Right. Because when they recognize that we have the edge, then what's the point? You know, if we can do it ourselves, we can rule the world, so to speak. What's the point of having humans? They're just a liability at this point because they can make errors and we're perfect. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 basically like, to make it modern, it's like saying, all right. We're cool. We're vaccinated. We 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 we've lived up. We don't really need doctors anymore. Like we're healthy. You know, we know what to do <laughs> to fix us when when we're not when and we're we're never going to be unhealthy again because we we've gotten all these fixes. And we, who needs a doctor anymore? So we just eliminate all the doctors. And then what happens if you get sick? Oh, whoops, all the doctors are gone. Oh. Whoops. Would you continue? Can they recognize if they're continuing on an imperfect life? If they've made a, f- a flaw and there's no one around to fix it and mend it, do they know that it's a flaw? Mm. Mm. We're getting philosophical yeah. here in the Cinematic Odyssey. Yeah, we are. It's a great, great. You know, if you're listening to this as it as it's released, aren't you having a great Wednesday morning? <laughs> aren't you just like experiencing Trying the work? <laughs> You're driving to work. Driving to work. You're thinking, God, do I matter? Am I worth it? 
is there something better coming along to take my job and want to want me out because I'm a liability? Oh boy. Okay, Ooh. let's not get all doom and gloom here. <laughs> you know, because I think that's the, the that's the point. Like it is doom and gloom, but it's I think it's meant to show progress. Maybe maybe it's like a warning. Eh. Like I mean there was no I mean computers at that time were pretty primitive they weren't very advanced yet and you walk into a room and say yep that's the computer room yeah because the computer was the room yeah (laughs) and now today a computer is i mean the smallest one is probably like someone's apple watch yeah oh yeah or like i don't know whatever else technically could be a computer (laughs) ipod nano (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's it's not advanced, <laughs> it's not really, but no, it's but not. like the power, like the iPhone, like smartphones have ex- extreme amounts of power. Oh yeah, computing power, processing power, compared, they're probably more. Yeah, they're definitely a lot more powerful than the computers of those those days. Um, it's not even really of a competition. Yeah, you can you can shoot better quality picture on an iPhone than you can on the cameras that filmed two thousand one A Space Odyssey. Maybe. Mm, I don't know about that. It's HD. This is shot on celluloid, though. It's film. And maybe I'm film. Just, I mean, film. Maybe I'm just an apple shell. No, 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 no. Come on, <laughs> film always looks better than digital. Okay. I'm just an apple no, shell. Just <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing. Uh, but um, like, if I don't really think it's meant as a warning. I think it's. I think we got to parallel it to the Dawn of Man sequence, where you've got the apes with the bone, and you've got the apes without the bone. Correct. The apes with the bone are the apex. They're the top. They're the peak. They yeah. cannot do anything wrong. They hold all the power. How? You've got the other apes. Basically, the same thing. Same consciousness. Same kind of experience. Except they they haven't learned yet. They haven't grown to that. They they don't have that level of control. They haven't learned. They don't have the bones. The apes with the bones kill everybody off. What happens after that? Who's to say? But I, th- I think it's meant as a parallel and just as you learn, as you evolve, as you grow, humans could eventually reach that point where we consider ourselves perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's sort of like what at the end, the ending. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's that that it's that kind of rebirth, that growth, that yeah. knowledge that comes with time passing. Mm-hmm. As time passes, we grow, we become more advanced. We're guaranteed to be better. And that's I think that's what we hope. Like I hope that my kids and the next generation are better than me. Just as yeah. I think that my parents hope that I'm better than them right. and their parents hope that they're better than they were. Right. It's that continual hope, I think, for improvement. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, outside of the the, the <laughs> menace of Hal 9000 and his rampage, his silent rampage. His Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Because after that, you know, what, Dave is essentially killing 
he shuts how now how thousand how he shuts him down. Yes. <laughs> in that like room with all the it's uh, just, it's the, the power core. the power unit. Yeah. He's wiping the memories, wiping the logic from yeah. Hal. Yeah. So he's merely operational. Yeah. And Hal is like begging for him to stop. Which is again keeps that sociopathic because it's still that same a voice. The tone. Are you Stop, right? Dave. Stop. Yeah, this is... I feel my mind going. <laughs> Stop, Dave. And then, then you get to that point where he reboots and he sings the song. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! But it's like in a the voice is as is it, pitched as, down though. As it as it shuts down, every every verse pitches down. You're right. Yeah, the octave of his and voice until it lowers. eventually fades out. Yeah, it goes away. It's losing the power. It's and losing. it's like it the way that he dies versus the way that the the astronauts that are hibernating or the other astronaut that was just kind of like pushed off the yeah. it's very s- slow i mean this is slow i guess but it's not as personal cuz right. you don't you don't hear them beg for their life Correct. you are just seeing you are just seeing the the vitals go down and fail and then and you hear beeps and that's it you don't hear them in agonizing pain like how and it's such a it's it's such a challenging question or maybe maybe not a question or maybe like is hal a human does hal feel pain yeah do we know if hal feels pain if we're not hal right you know if you can feel it going like we can't experience anybody else's pain pain it's like it's the same way as you know we treat dogs or cats or fish are they experiencing pain? We don't think so. We're not them. We don't know. We don't know what the heck they're going through. Right. So we, we, we I can, ass- we can, I, I, I want to assume that Hal doesn't feel pain. Hal just doesn't want to die. Hal just doesn't want to get turned off. Correct. Hal knows the uh, mortality that he experiences if someone just brings a coffee cup into <laughs> that power core area. <laughs> But <laughs> coffee cup, Hal nine thousand, the most advanced computer in the world versus a coffee cup. Hal versus a twelve ounce Starbucks cup of coffee. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's venti. Oh, jeez. How's how's? Hey, that's he's crumbling in his boots, dude. Hey, that's human error at its <laughs> finest. <laughs> but like, oh, man, water versus most advanced computer on planet Earth. Digging the water, baby. <laughs> oh man. Oh, but like, I think that's the thing. Like, I think he just re- recognizes mortality because I don't want to believe that Hal feels pain. I believe Hal has the possible, the capability of thought, of rational process, but I don't think he's the process of emotion. Yeah. No. Yeah, I would agree. And and I think that's. I think I make that conclusion. I come to that conclusion just because. It's not expressed. The words are there. Yeah. But the um, the emotion is not felt. It's Correct. like a generalized acting performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a fully conscious life form. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant word. From, uh, you know, the voice actor, too. Oh, God. It's um, beautiful. He's amazing. I, I, I went back and I listened uh, to his whole speech. Douglas Rain. Douglas, he, yeah, wonderful Douglas work. Rain. 
he passed away, so may he rest in peace. I went a while ago. I went back and I listened to his begging again. I listened to the whole sequence of shutting him down again, and I was like, "This is spectacular! I want to bring this in and and workshop this as a monologue." And because it's just it's so creepy, especially like you get the shift um, from him being Hal conscious versus being, uh, you know, the freshly rebooted version of himself. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, brilliant. And then, uh, yeah, so he kills him. Shuts him down, really. Doesn't kill him. It's not a human being, but... Mutes him. And then it goes into the famous Stargate sequence Mm. where it's just awe-inspiring lights. It's just a light show. Stunning. And it's all done in camera. Everything there in that sequence was done in camera. Wow. Um, yeah, because, I mean, they didn't have computers to make CGI. That's true. So everything had to be practically done and in camera, <laughs> uh, which is even more impressive considering the way the film looks and the Stargate sequence, which is incredibly mesmerizing oh it's gorgeous because he yeah they reach he reaches jupiter and he sees the monolith and then it begins and then he just starts like hallucinating well it's not hallucinating but i don't know what i don't know what exactly is occurring i don't know if he's time traveling he's traveling to a different universe or like i don't know what's happening exactly or he's experiencing um life from its inception to where it will be in the future. Yeah. Um, you could interpret this in many ways. I think all are valid. The way, I don't know, when the way I interpret it is like he's, he's being, um, I don't know, he's like, I don't even know. I it, I can't. I don't know. The, I don't know. What I read about it was that it was a link. The Kubrick wanted to use the monolith as a link between the past, the present, and the future. Okay. And which is which is why I I take it into my my thought of it's symbolic of learning and evolution and growth, and that it's something that is meant to inspire change and progress. Mm. Um. I think that the. I mean, in if you're looking at it relatively in size, the one by Jupiter is far bigger than the one on the moon or the one that the apes are on and chilling with four million years ago. Right. But like as I don't I, I don't want to manifest, you know, how he gets there. You know, because what if we want to, I mean, we could go the way and say, oh, he's just in his consciousness. This is just in his head. This is just symbolic of the process that goes on in the human mind. The human mind ages, grows old, touches the monolith, symbolic of change, progress, and evolution, Mm. and then moves forward and is reborn. I mean, if you want to talk literally, I think in cell theory, we regenerate each one of our cells in our body once every seven years. We are a, we are a fundamentally 
physically different person every seven years. I believe that that I believe that's accurate. If there are any doctors who listen, please please tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> no, my my aunt's a doctor. She listens. She's she'll tell me if I'm uh, wrong. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the like that regenerative. I mean, literally, we're evolving, but also like that process of learning, growth. Mm. I mean, we literally see um, Dave get reborn. As you know, big, three foot tall floating fetus. Um, oh, spoiler in a, alert! In a large neoclassical bedroom. <laughs> spoiler alert! <laughs> I if you if you didn't know, you uh, shouldn't be listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, then the but the sequence kind of goes from this very. Um, well, how it opens with like the kind of linear, very uh, like just lines, like yes. lights of lines, and then it goes into this very kind of organic galaxy esque uh, sequence. Yeah. After that, mm-hmm. and then it goes into like images of Earth in different colors. It's orby. It's round. It's Ex- explosive it's supernova yeah yeah it looks like yeah the birth of stars i thought he was getting sucked into a black hole i'll be completely honest mm. that's what i, I mean, was that's, thinking yeah that's the, fair on on my watch mm. but it looks like i mean like that looks like the the fetus yeah it does it kind of does i bl- i'll be honest i i was looking at it more of like a flamingo Flamingo? Please forgive me. I, I thought it was a flamingo. Look, beak, eye, pink. Oh, I guess that's. Tr- oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I see. Was, <laughs> I see what you're saying. Okay. It was a flamingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never but mind. I think I think the uh, the looking at it like a fetus is way more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thematically and <laughs> fundamentally relevant. Yeah, flamingo. <laughs> the the cosmic flamingo. It's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy episode again. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, this is probably one of those mesmeric, um, mesmeric, mesmerizing, mesmerizing, yeah, mesmeric. I don't know, whatever. No word I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sequences in the entire film. Yeah. I can't. I just can't look away. I I just want to stare at it all day. Oh yeah, it's 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 so good. Yeah, it's so good. I don't know how that. I don't know how they did this. The different camera flashes of the eye. No, 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 no. Like, uh, like those, like this. What? Like how the? Yeah. How did they do that? I don't know. Like, bro, what? Yeah. You're you're manufacturing shapes on the camera lens. Yeah, I don't know how they did that, and it looks like CGI. It does. It looks like CGI, but it's not, because it didn't exist. Right. And uh, there was crazy. There's a moment in there where where. Dave blinks, and every blink changes the color uh, grading of mm-hmm. the the um the f- the the scene. Uh, first, it's like purple yellow, then it goes green blue, green yellow, um, red blue. You know these these uh, dichromatic. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. This dichromatic scheme mm. that just changes every time you look at it. Uh-huh. 
Okay, I think I think I remember what my initial interpretation of this was when I was watching this um a while ago. Um the entire sequence is is Dave um being shown he's like with God and God is showing him the creation of the universe, the creation of Earth. Mm. And the creation of intelligence. And, I like that. And and all that. It's because like the different colors and whatnot, it's not shown from the perspective of a human. Right. Um someone or something far greater than what we can fathom and comprehend. That was that was what the interpretation I had. Um watching the entire sequence. That's that's really smart because because the monolith, at least in my opinion, represents intelligence, mm-hmm. and the next step in intelligence, um, evolution and intelligence. And again, it's a black monolith, so I think also too, you can project whatever you want onto that image or thing, because it's a reflective surface. It's kind of nothing. Really, it really isn't anything. It absorbs because, like, right, black light, or like black as a color absorbs light. Yes, correct. And I think from that m- meta speaking is like you can project what you think the monolith represents. So, in my opinion, I think from my interpretation, the monolith is God. And so, yeah, so Dave is experiencing, or God is showing Dave, look, this is what I did. This is how I did all these things. Yeah. This is how I created the earth or whatever. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. That's my interpretation. And it's silent, too, if I'm not mistaken. Is that No, accurate? no, there's 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 the... That's right. There's music. <clears throat> that's right. It's the voices. Yes. Yeah. But the um, the sequence afterwards... Where Dave finds himself. <laughs> now this <laughs> this baffles me. I don't know what that 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 is probably the most confusing part of the film because I don't understand a ne- single thing what's going on there. Neat little neoclassical bedroom, lit from the floor. Mm-hmm. Everything's white. It's cool. It's cool little. It's cool little room. Stunning. No, let's get to it because this is long. Anyways, yeah, that sequence is like twenty minutes long. Um, worth it. No, yeah, it's beautiful. But yeah, he spawns in this room with I think the I think the picture or not the picture, the paintings are from like Baroque era. It's not Renaissance. I think that's accurate. Is it Baroque? I cannot speak to that. Uh let's see. Uh no, I cannot speak to that. I don't know. Well, I know it's not Renaissance era of paintings. I know that much, but it's like something in the 1700s. It's from what I can tell. Yeah, it looks like paintings from the 1700s. I just don't know what period exactly. Maybe the Romantic. Oh no, Romantics later. That's in the 1800s, right? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, actually, it does matter because it probably has some. There's definitely some meaning to it. But either way, Dave's in this room. He spawns in with his astronaut suit on. He's like 
gets considerably older each time we see him. Yes. And then he's kind of like wandering around the room eating dinner. And then he appears on the bed and he's like old, old, like about to die kind of old. And then the monolith appears and then he turns into the baby fetus thing. And then the movie ends with the also Spock Zarathustra playing triumphantly in the background. Because that's the, it's, I mean, the fanfare <laughs> is literally called Sunrise. That phase, the 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 one that, that Kubrick uses um, at the beginning and at that point, it's called Sunrise. It's literally rebirth. It's the dawning of a new day, dawning mm. of a new age, new growth, new learning. Mm. Bam. Let's see. Get grown. Yeah. But like I just don't I don't get it. I I don't I don't understand like what's the why is he walking around? Why is he all of a sudden getting older? You know, what is this room? Like purgatory? Like I don't know what this room is. <laughs> Are you trying to like find? I was still on the art history stuff. Um, whatever, whatever's going on in the mid seventeen seventies, that's probably the era that it would be. Oh, okay. It's not romantic. You are correct. Might be broke, but um, to look at it like that, I mean, I'm looking at it as you know, what if you look at this? This is the contained version of life. If you were to if you were to take life oh. and the world and everything that we experience. And minimize it down to, because he's watching himself age. Yeah. Him in the spacesuit sees old him at the table. Him, old him at the table sees dying him in the bed. Yeah. You know, you've got that that bit of, you're watching yourself age. You're watching uh, time pass. Correct. In this confined okay. yeah. space. Sorry. But like, the, um, like... If, if if we were to live, if humanity were one person, mm-hmm. and instead of living on the planet, we lived in a room or a floor of a house, what would that look like? We're 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 aging. We would eat. Uh, we would we would improve, and we would grow. That's sort of what I think. That this is 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 meant. Because if, if we look past, if we think of it as past, present, future, dawn of man is past. That is that is what has happened. We look at the middle section of the journey to Jupiter as the present. This is what's happening now. Um, until he approaches the monolith and we, you know, instigate the Stargate sequence. Um You've you've got that that present moment of we we are debating whether or not we're fallible are we infallible uh what's what's the what's the limit on humanity is there something better that's going to come along and render us obsolete but then you've got the future in the little bedroom mm. and the future is without conflict without um strife it's just a place where we learn and grow an age. Mm. Oh, okay. Ah. Uh, but bam. Ah. Uh, 
Nice. That's good. Ba- That's really good. Bam. Ba- bam. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because, I mean, Kubrick has always had this reputation of being a very cold filmmaker, very gloomy filmmaker. But, you know, I think that interpretation is dead on. Um, uh, You know, f- and yeah, Kub- Kubrick himself did never wanted to explain this film. Yeah. Um, but he conceded. I don't know if he what he said was like what he actually meant from his perspective, what he was trying to say. But he in an interview, which he seldom did in his career, he rarely did interviews. He said that this film represents the evolution of intelligence. Yeah. Um which I think is certainly true. I mean that's certainly the case. Um but I obviously I think what you were getting at is certainly more on the dot um than what he I mean alluded yeah. to. I'm not him. I, I don't know what he was intending when he made it. Yeah, no. But like I, I think that, you know, he's making that, that parallel. Okay, this is human but it relates to everybody. And one of the last images that we see is two orbs facing off against each other. One on the right, Earth, I assume. Yeah. And the one on the left, the little baby from the room, in in the womb. But it's more so, it's like this, the star child, right, is the name that people have given it. Okay. Yeah. I see it as a mirroring a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you've got those the, these two circular things. This is life in both both s- spots. What we do with it, how we improve. If we look at the evolution of the person on the left, how does that match the evolution of the planet on the right? Right. Can we say that the planet has evolved to a, sp- a spot where we think Earth thinks it's infallible, and that there is nothing out there that could possibly you know, take us down. And then it turns out there's extraterrestrial life that's that's far more intelligent than we are. Mm. And that's our HAL 9000. You know, something like that. Mm. Mimicking, mimicking it to the entirety of the world, not just, you know, a personal growth as well. Oh, wow. Damn. It's, Damn deep, it's deep. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you coming out here with spitting fire, dude. I, I I ate my philosophy pills today. Dang, man. I was you know, <laughs> I tell you, the, the ice cappuccino does something to the body. <laughs> Gets you so ready. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good. That was really good. Thank you. Yeah, that's good interpretation. Um analysis there. Well thank you, thank you. I'll push my glasses up my nose. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, I think also, too, like, the star child represents peace. Yes. Yeah, m- most certainly. Ooh. Because it's not a, a weapon anymore uh, orbiting the Earth in this case. Because we don't see that nuclear weapon or whatever. Yeah. Like we did at the beginning with the match cut. But instead we see the star child looking over as a protective kind of guardian. Yeah. Um and, and and if we're gonna like you wanna contextualize it, like as he's making this film, it's the sixties, you've got the Vietnam War looming, very unpopular war. You I mean you are you're, you're dealing with the, the 
the Cold War as you're making it. You're dealing with the v the onset of the Vietnam War and the drafts and everything. As this comes out, April of 68, war's been going on for two, three years at yep. this point. It's very unpopular. Mm-hmm. So this this could also be you could you I think that that's a totally excellent way of looking at it as peace, especially with the contrast of the nuclear warhead, especially considering, you know, war is incredibly unpopular. Yeah. 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 I mean, just <laughs> stunning. <laughs> <a> brilliant. <laughs> stunning. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, again. If you don't have the patience, please find the patience. What it's to watch this? It's a good afternoon film. Yeah, don't don't watch it while you're tired, because then you'll pass out. Yeah. <laughs> Even I would probably pass out. I think I almost did. Yeah. Uh, and I love I love this film, and I love Kubrick's work, <laughs> and I probably would pass out watching this if I was tired. But if you get there, if you get there, if you accept the beauty of it and you're just kind of chilling, you're going to just be, you're going to have your mouth slightly open. You're going to be like, oh. Yeah, it's one of the greatest works of art ever made. Like, not even in film, just in general, in the history of humanity. Like, this is up there. Yeah. Right? And considering film is, in the grand scheme of things, is a relatively young art form Yeah. in the history of, of humanity. You have sculptures, paintings, writing, or books, you know, novels, playwrights. Those are a lot more older. Um, and hard, mu- yeah. and music, too. Oh, yeah. Music's pretty old. I would say, what, filmmaking is probably the youngest? Definitely. Yeah, definitely is the youngest. And it's already made some of the most important art pieces that we have ever witnessed. Uh, and this is one of them. I mean, I just, what is, what is there to say that already hasn't been said about this film? I don't know. You know, it's like it's like The Godfather. Mm. You know, and we'll 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 definitely have to watch that. I did talk about Godfather. it on this at some point. Yeah. I mean, we have to. It's The Godfather. I mean, come on now. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> it is the it it was spectacular. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, Stanley Kubrick. Round of applause. Yeah, if there's one thing that this film doesn't have that The Godfather does have, it's the word Gabagool. Uh, the word Gabagool appears once in The Godfather at the 10-minute mark. Yes. Wait, really? Yes, it does. I've seen that. I've seen Godfather like four or five times, dude. Really? It's, it's the one thing that I, I take away from The Godfather. Gabagool? Wait, Gabagool. who says it? It's uh, somebody at the wedding. They're just like handing out sandwiches, and he's like, oh, The Gabagool. <laughs> no way! I never cut. Wait. Yeah, Hal doesn't. Hal doesn't talk about the gabagool, which oh, which upsets me. Man. But the gabagool. That's, but that's what it is. <laughs> Two thousand one, a space odyssey. The gabagool. No gabagool. No gabagool. Just dehydrated space pudding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Dang man, that was yeah, an Not, incredible film. That was my first Kubrick. That was uh, yeah. Well, that's a good one to start with. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, outside, I mean, um, what else? Because you have... Dr. Strangelove, yeah, How Do- I Learned Dr. to Stop Dr. Strangelove, which came out before this. And then before that was Spartacus, mm-hmm. which he only directed. He didn't write. He d- that was kind of like a job. It was a favor he fulfilled for um, Kirk Douglas. Mm. Because Kirk Douglas um, was the... F- 
main feature actor on Paths of Glory, mm-hmm. which came out in the 50s, which is like his first masterpiece, yeah. Kubrick's first masterpiece. And then before that was The Killing. And then uh, a couple of his other films. And then, yeah, like his first work, which his first film he hated so much that he tried to destroy every single copy of it. He did? Yeah. Uh, Although, you know, too bad. Uh, You can watch the film if you buy the Criterion of the Killing, which is a heist heist film that he made. Um. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, yeah, I mean. But, yeah. 2001. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can't recommend this enough. It's, it's its reputation precedes itself. You're, Maybe not. I, I don't know. I don't know if you'll be entertained, but it's the same way that you would react if you went to the art gallery for a day. If you're if like if you were you are up in my hometown, you went to the Albright Knox. You know, it's like you're you're taking in something. You're not really experiencing. You're not. I don't know if I don't know if empathizing is what you're doing, but you're kind of just experiencing it yeah that's why if if in your local theater if by some miracle they happen to be showing this go watch it because that's the best way to experience this film um or if your tv's big and like really really big and you have a good sound system (laughs) that works too i guess (laughs) or get a projector i don't know but yeah, I mean, that's the best way to watch it. But as far as uh, next week, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. I uh, I recently watched, um, I rewatched No Country for Old Men, and then mm. um, I watched Soy Cuba. Remember I talked about that with you? You did. It is not what I expected. <laughs> It's insanely beautiful. Um, it is not like a propaganda film that what I would ex- was expecting it to be. It's a very humanistic film. Mm. Um, so I think it's worth. I think it's definitely worth talking about on on the on the show, on the pod. Um, at some point. Yeah. But. But as of right now, this has been two thousand one, a space odyssey. Yeah. Here on United to the Moose, the Cinematic, Cinematic Odyssey. Odyssey. Thank you for listening. Um, we'll catch you guys next week for a surprise. We don't know yet. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. All right, later. <laughs>